Welcome back to another episode of the TR Hoops podcast, Tobacco Road Hoops, with your host, Jeremy Shaheen. I just want to say before I get into this podcast, I recorded some of this earlier, and since doing so, uh, the news is broke from North Carolina that Dawson Garcia is officially out for the season. Um, We may never see him in Carolina blue anymore again, Um, but just want to wish my condolences to him. I know he's been dealing with some family issues and health issues, and he's had a concussion of his own, and I know he was on the one-year plan hoping to play a year at Carolina, be all-conference, and then head off to the NBA, but, you know, other things have happened, and just want to wish my best to him. I think the best is still yet to come for him. He's such a talent, and, uh, you know, whatever he does moving forward, I wish him the best success. Uh, But wanted to get that out there before I started this podcast that he will be done for the season. First, we're going to dive into the Duke-UNC round one matchup at the Dean Dome, and then we'll get into Duke's other games against Virginia at home, on the road at Clemson Thursday, and on the road in uh, Boston College, Chestnut Hill, on uh, Saturday evening. As well as UNC's other games, they were on the road at Clemson Tuesday evening, and they also finished off the week at home against Florida State on Saturday afternoon. Prior to the game, uh, as there always is surrounding Duke, Carolina, there was a lot of buzz, sold-out crowd. Roy was in in, uh, in attendance at the Dean Dome. I mean, the crowd, the crowd was looking to erupt at any given moment. Um... Gigi Jackson was in, in attendance, the number one recruit, uh, according to Rivals.com, for 2023, who was supposedly a strong Carolina lean. He grew up a Carolina fan. His parents grew up Carolina fans. They love Hubert. Um, and, and there's just a lot, of, uh, a lot of energy in the building to start this game. There was a lot of talk prior to the game about Coach K not being publicly honored at UNC for his contributions in the rivalry. And I think whether you think it's right, wrong, good, bad, or indifferent, I actually think that played a factor in Duke's mentality coming out of the gates, uh, that they wanted to get it done for their coach his last time in Chapel Hill. As far as on the court, once the ball tipped, uh, Duke got the possession, and I was shocked right away that Hubert had assigned Baycott, Armando Baycott, onto Paulo Bancaro. So Duke went right at Baycott at the start. First play of the game, Paulo went right at him uh, and got a bucket. And that was really the question going into the game as far as matchups, the biggest question that who was uh, Brady Manick going to guard. They started him on Mark Williams. Then they put Leakey Black on A.J. Griffin. R.J. Davis was on Jeremy Roach. And Caleb Love was on Wendell Moore. I know personally I thought Leakey Black was going to get the assignment of Paulo Bancaro to start the game. Um, But Baycott started on him and picked up two quick fouls, which obviously changed the whole game right away um you know he's their most important player um the way he scores the way he rebounds everything he does they run their offense through him so that was a real damper damper on the beginning of the game for carolina like i talked about on my pre-game show uh my last episode you know i felt like the leaky matchup i think a lot of people saw that as being um you know his matchup that's what he does for carolina that's his role he's their best defender um, athletic um, and and smart and you know that's who I thought was going to get that assignment like we all pretty much did against Paulo uh, not not Baycott I didn't see that coming that that was uh, I think that threw everybody for a loop 
when that when the game uh, started and he was on Paolo. I'm not sure I had seen Duke come out of the gates all year like they did this night in Chapel Hill. They were making everything. They were in tune with everything. Um, A.J. Griffin started hot and he just continued hot throughout the game. Um, Paolo, was, he got off to a really good start. And then once they put Leaky Black on Paolo, they kind of contained him and, and you know made a tougher time for Paolo to get to the basket. And Leaky's very long and athletic, so that was a tough matchup for Paolo. And he caused him some problems once they went to that matchup of Leaky on Paolo. I also think on the other end, Duke's ball pressure, uh, as Hubert said at the end of the game, was a big factor in getting up into the guards of Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, and really getting into them, making them work for everything, making them start their offense farther out than they had hoped. Duke had extended the lead all the way to 23 in the first half, and then Brady Manick just went nuts. He single-handedly kept them in the game. Four threes in the first half, some of them highly contested. Um, he just, you know, he almost looked like an NBA player that night, uh, just making anything and everything. And uh, getting down to 11 points at half was such a crucial thing for UNC. It felt like UNC had gotten some momentum back. And with Brady Manick being the only factor offensively, it almost felt like a win for UNC being down 11 points when it could have been over 20 plus points at that point. After halftime, when UNC was only down 11 points, I thought the first five minutes of the second half were going to decide who was going to win this game. If UNC could get this lead cut down to five, six points the first few minutes, they could really you know, put some game pressure on Duke after being up by so much points um, and, and get them a little nervous and worried. And UNC had all the momentum. Uh, but A.J. Griffin came out and put on a 10-0 run himself to start the second half, which blew open the game open and kind of it looked like they had defeated Carolina a bit already um, just moments into the second half. I thought Wendell Moore may have played his best game of the season or prior to the COVID pause at least. Uh, he had eight rebounds, five assists, 13 points. He was drew the assignment of Caleb Love. He did a really good job on him. He was, you know, taking opportunities when he had him leading the team. I thought that was one of Wendell's better games and definitely since the COVID pause, his best game. And, you know, another thing about A.J., he had his career high, 27 points. I thought Manic actually did as, as good as he could on him. Uh, A.J. was making some tough shots. He was showing the whole game. He was getting to the basket, hitting mid-range, hitting the three. Uh, he looked out of a top 10 pick in this upcoming draft. Other than that, the second half was pretty uneventful. I think Duke did a pretty good job on Baycott, but I think most of that was due to his uh, just being out of, the, out of rhythm during the game. Those two quick fouls were so key um, in him and you know his inability to be able to play and play aggressively the rest of the game. With that being said, it was a tough loss for UNC um, and a big, huge road win for Duke. Uh, the questions then loomed, how's Duke going to respond? after only a day's rest for Virginia, which is an incredibly tough team to prepare for. Uh, were they going to be mentally there? And then for UNC, how do they come back from this loss? Do they kind of sulk or do they you know, get up for a big-time road game at Clemson and, and, and come through with a big win and bring that back to Chapel Hill? With that being said, I'll start with the Carolina game at Clemson first. Um, Clemson, I think, is much better than their record in the ACC. They're not even 500 in the ACC, but they almost beat Duke at Duke. 
they've had some really close games, and they were playing at home. They always play better at home. Uh, they were also without Hunter Tyson, one of their better players. But they have a good team. P.J. Hall, I'll start with him. He, uh, he may be the most improved player in the country uh, or the conference, um, the big guy for Clemson. Just uh, watching that game, I mean, left-handed hook shot, shooting the three. He got a lot stronger this year. Um, and Clemson's a good team, so that was no easy easy task for Carolina to go in there and try to get the win. As the game started, I'm sure Heels fans were a little worried. They st- it was 8-0 to zero to start the game for Clemson. Another bad start for UNC. Um, a lot of the times this year, you know, they've had some uh, rough starts and they couldn't come back from them. They got, as we like to say, they got punched in the mouth and they didn't punch back. But uh, this night was different. Baycott had another outstanding game. He got back on track. Uh, 24 and 8, 24 and 10, uh, 24 points, 10, 10 rebounds, and his 18th double double of the season. I just want to say I think Leaky Black is having his best year in a Carolina uniform. He's been very consistent, making timely threes. He did so again in this Clemson game. Um, he even got he shot a three and he got his own miss for a layup. He was very active. He does his thing on defense. Um, so I've been really impressed with what Leakey's done this year, and he's shooting the ball at a much higher clip. Leakey is shooting 40% from three this year, as opposed to last year he was shooting 22%. And I think even this year he's making better decisions. He's not just taking threes to shoot them. He's taking them when they're open, good looks, in the rhythm of the offense. Um, so I have been impressed with him. One interesting thing to note here is we've talked a bit about UNC's bench or lack thereof with Dawson Garcia still being out, Anthony Harris being done for the year. Um, They actually played Dontrez Styles four minutes this game, and he made a pretty big impact in those four minutes. I know Hubert's um, and and Roy before him have had a reluctance to play uh, younger guys, freshmen. Uh, He may be their most athletic player, honestly, of anybody they have. Um, And I know after the game, Baycott gave him a lot of credit for playing. He was plus eight in those four minutes. Um, so UNC was eight points better when he was in, and that doesn't always tell everything, but you could see that he, you know, he didn't make any mistakes. He did a good job defensively, didn't turn the ball over. Um, I was impressed with him. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get some more minutes here. So UNC ended the half on a huge run to take the lead, a lot of momentum. Um, I think it showed a level of maturity and toughness on their part to come back from that rough start and take the lead heading into halftime. I thought a lot of players played well for UNC, but particularly R.J. Davis had one of his better games, uh, I think. He had six assists, zero turnovers, um, and he scored the ball really well. Uh, He's a scorer at heart, I think, but he's learning in his sophomore year now to be a bit of a playmaker, and I think we saw that come to fruition in this game at Clemson. He did a good job of distributing, distributing the ball, uh, looking for his when he had the opportunities. I was really impressed with what he did. Also, another guy who's been struggling is Caleb Love, uh, shooting the ball particularly. And, uh, man, he, he stepped up big time. He stepped up clutch. He hit some big threes uh, at the end of this game, uh, which showed another level of toughness that they haven't showed prior to this. So we're seeing this team grow upon our eyes, uh, letting that Duke loss go. And that pass that Caleb made to Brady Manick at the end was uh, just a great play, unselfish, um, and uh, a game-winning play. So all in all, I mean, that was a huge win by UNC. 
Um, it could be a, a year-changing win uh, where, you know, Clemson's record's not great, but it, it was deeper than that. I mean, that was a, they really came together, you could tell, and uh, just a, a good performance at the end of the game, especially uh, to get that win on the road, which is not easy anywhere, but especially that Little John Coliseum at Clemson. One thing I want to note before I let this game go is I thought it was interesting at the end of the game with three seconds left how Hubert Davis, when Clemson was throwing the ball in, didn't have a guy on the ball uh, throwing, throwing the ball in. And that guy ultimately got the ball and passed it off for a good look at a three. Um, I was trying to debate this to myself, uh, thinking about it after the game, you know, what, what I would have done if I was a coach in that position. And I think I would have had a guy like Justin McCoy or Puff Johnson on the ball there, uh, the, on the inbounder, uh, trying to disrupt any pass so that the inbounder didn't have a clear vision. But I definitely see what Hubert saw in that play. It was almost like they had a safety back there, almost like they were playing a QB spy in football, um, trying to you know see where the ball was going to go and then react to that. Um, but all in all, like I said, that was a great win for UNC um, and really could propel them on the bigger things. They're right in the thick of it to win the ACC regular season. So they're actually in pretty good standing uh, as far as winning the regular season ACC title goes. Now, before I get on to Carolina's second game against Florida State at home, I'll get into Duke UVA this past Monday night. It was like an uh, NCAA tournament uh, feel with Duke playing Saturday, then having to play Monday night. One day's rest, you got to come back um, and be ready to go. You know, uh, there's no excuses. You got to be ready to go. You could tell right out of the gates of the Duke UVA game at home that Duke was not ready to go and uh, just mentally wasn't there. Uh, it felt like they had almost won the Super Bowl or something like that where, you know, the season was over. They should probably get some hardware for winning the game in Chapel Hill. Uh, they didn't come out with any energy. Uh, UVA punched them right in the mouth and Duke didn't punch back. Uh, there was no focus. It didn't look like or level of toughness. Um, and one thing with UVA is they're incredibly hard to prepare for with all the screens and cuts they do. And then defensively, their pack, pack line defense, uh, that's really hard, particularly for freshmen or players that have not seen that before. It's just such a change. I know UVA, uh, a lot of people, a lot of fans don't enjoy watching them play, but Tony Bennett has got to be a top 10 coach. I mean, if you watch them play, those guys... They're all in tune with what they're doing. They're all on the same team. They're all playing for one another. They run crisp sets on offense. They're, you know, five is one on defense altogether. The communication they have, um, you know, what Tony's done there is, is incredible. Um, and, and, you know, we saw them win the championship a few years ago. Um, and he's just built a great program there at, at UVA after they had some tough years uh, prior to him coming in. This Virginia team is not like the teams we've you know, come accustomed to the last few years where Virginia is one of the better teams in the country. But this UVA team, I think, is peaking at the right time. Uh, they don't have a Ty Jerome, a DeAndre Hunter, a Kyle Guy, any of those types, a Malcolm Brogdon. I don't think they have an NBA type of player on this team. But, you know, they're hard to prepare for. They're very different. Um, and like I said, Tony's a great coach. He's going to come up with a master plan each game. I think Duke got out-coached. I think they got out-fought, out-toughed. 
Um, and, and just a heck of a performance by UVA to come into Cameron uh, just a couple days after being Miami, one of the better teams in the ACC as well. Paolo Bancaro uh, specifically had a really hard time. He only had one shot attempt in the second half. Um, and, and, you know, no matter how they're playing on him, that can't happen. You know, your best player, potentially the best player in the country, has to get more than one shot. Coming off of his best performance of the season, A.J. Griffin struggled. He was 1-7 from the field. This loss on Monday night for Duke to UVA most certainly took away their number one seed chances. Because, you know, something you have to realize is Duke is, uh, they don't have many chance for, for uh, really quality wins. Um, you know, the WCC, what where Gonzaga plays for, they have a better chance at quality wins than Duke does. Um, so almost when Duke wins, it's like, you know, nothing really happened. But if they lose, that's a, that's, that's a big deal. Um, so uh, they got to take care of business or else they're going to continue to drop in the rankings as well as, more importantly, the seedings and the seed line. During this game, it looked like Duke's defense was perplexed where they've looked really good this year. But they had to switch to zone. Then they went back to man. Then they went to a 1-3-1 zone. Um, they were doing anything and everything they could to try to contain or stop or um, put a put a hold on Virginia's offense that was just carving them up. Another thing I want to touch on real briefly because I heard former Duke assistants Chris Patola from 2007 to 2012 talk about how Duke, uh, the home court advantage is just not the same and the students should be embarrassed and um, I actually agree with this and this is something I've thought about for a while. Um, I've mentioned it to people I know that uh, it just doesn't feel the same. You know, it feels like in a way that, you know, when Duke's doing well, the students are, you know, going crazy and uh, doing their thing and having a good time. But when times are tough and Duke really needs it, they're down by five points, they're down by 10 points. They just don't seem to, seem to have that same verve or energy that they used to have that was built there in the 90s and the 2000s and um, even five or so years ago where, you know, you just felt like the Duke home crowd at Cameron Indoor was going to make a huge difference and was good for probably five to six points in Duke's favor um, in that regard, which was, you know, monumental in, in close games. It's almost like there's just an expectation that would, when Duke plays at home, everything's going to go well, they're going to win, um, you know, students can have a good time, enjoy it. It's kind of like a party. Um, but in reality, you know, you have to earn that win and you have to go out and you have to go do it. And, uh, you know, it just hasn't felt like the students have been the same the last few years. And that's just an observation that I've noticed as well the last few years. You know, obviously, I don't want to put any of the onus on the students. They're not the ones playing the game inside the white lines. But, um, you know, the, this, this Duke team, especially a younger team, um, could really use some help at home to try to lift them over the hump. But, you know, all credit to UVA. They deserve that game. Um, the plays that they made at the end. Uh, Duke just, they looked out of it. They weren't hustling back on defense, uh, particularly this last play of the game that I wanted to touch on where UVA was inbounding the ball with seven seconds left. Mark Williams had not been in the game for a while. He had four fouls. Theo John, his backup, was actually playing very well. He brought a lot of energy. He was a huge piece in them coming back and ultimately taking the lead. Um, and Coach K decided to put Mark Williams in the end uh, the last play of the game was seven seconds left. So Coach K ultimately puts Mark Williams on a guard who's throwing the ball 
uh, inbounds with seven seconds yet left. And I could see, from my opinion, you know, having Mark Williams defending the ball, the guy who's throwing the ball in, you know, maybe with under four seconds left, under three seconds left to try to prevent a lob at the rim. Um, but seven seconds is, is way too long, in my opinion, to where UVA had time to throw the ball in and still run a play. Um, so that's kind of what happened. UVA threw the ball in, and uh, Mark kind of lost track. He wasn't in the rhythm of things. You know, him being a basketball player should know better. That's kind of, that's that's what you're first taught, you know, stay with your man. He completely lost his man. His man got wide open for a wide open three, um, and Paulo tried to help, but it was too late. And uh, they hit the game winner at Duke and, and get away with a quad one win for UVA. And uh, they're on a hot streak now, and Duke suffers a, their second loss of the season at home. Um, which, like I said earlier, is going to derail their chances at a one seed and maybe even a two seed. Now I'm going to get into UNC's second game of the week. Uh, how would they respond against Clemson, where they played a great game on the road and got the win? How do they come back home and back in the Dean Dome, where they've been so good this year but lost the, past, the last game to Duke at home? Um, a lot of questions were surrounded the team now that uh, it was official that Dawson Garcia was done for the season. Um, due to family issues and some other things going on with him and then obviously Anthony Harris being out for the season and I just want to make a note I think that you know obviously we're thinking of Dawson and his family and um, but I think sometimes when you have less guys that can that can uh, help define roles and make roles on the team clear for each man um, so you know for instance you got a guy like Brady Manick he's a four floor spacer three-point shooter um, then you got a guy like Baycott. I mean, they work perfectly together. So Baycott has space down low. He's a back to the basket. Uh, get him the ball and he can go one on one down low. Then you got guys on the perimeter like Caleb Love. He creates, he can score on his own. Same with RJ Davis. He creates as well, can, you know, looks for his own shot. Another guy like Leakey, who is long athletic. He's, you know, typically the guy you would want guarding the team's best player, the opposing team's best player. Off the bench, you have Kerwin Walton, who can fill it up from three, sometimes, you know, shoot that mid-range. Um, and then a few guys like Justin McCoy and Puff Johnson, who are bringing energy, hustle, charges, uh, diving for loose balls off the bench, uh, very active. And then a guy now like Dontre Styles, who's very athletic um, and, and can defend multiple positions. So, you know, I think having clear roles that are defined are key, especially this time in the season where guys go, know going into these games what's expected of them and what uh, they're supposed to do for their team to have a chance to win. So right out of the gates, UNC exploded this thing. I mean, it was, it was over in the first five minutes of this game. It felt like they got up 18-0. to zero. Um, Florida State didn't make a field goal until nine minutes into the game. UNC was playing with energy. And making shots on uh, offense. Caleb Love was, he got off to another good start. He'd been struggling a little bit from the field, but he was 6 of 12 shooting six three pointers for him. Baycott had another double double 19th of the year. Seems like we're saying that every single game. Another double double for him. Uh, Brady Manick had 17 points. RJ Davis. UNC was just doing everything right, it seemed like. And uh, a few minutes into the game, Florida State had another injury. This time it was Caleb Mills, so they've just been, uh, you know, they've had the injury bug the last few weeks, and 
that's that's really uh, hurt their chances. And they, well, now they won't get into the NCAA tournament unless they can win the ACC tournament. Carolina literally did everything right in this game. They shot 43% from the three, 55% from two, and they held. They played great defense against Florida State and held them under 40% shooting. They out-rebounded Florida State. Um, they held the advantage in the turnover margin as well. Um, more fast break points. It was just Carolina all the way. I think the biggest takeaway from this game is um, not from the starters. Uh, they, they did a great job, obviously, but from the bench, uh, Dontrez Styles, he played his season high in minutes at 15. Like I said earlier, I think he may be the most athletic guy on this team. I know Hubert hasn't really played the freshman, and, um, but it sounds like from what he's saying, he's doing well in practice, and now he's playing in the games, and uh, he's going to make an impact. I think not to get into the matchup against Duke again, but I think he's going to be playing quite a bit. Um, because he can be a really good defender for them um, going forward. So, you know, not not too much to say about that Carolina-FSU game other than UNC just looked amazing, outplayed them in every way, and, um, you know, that was a, a win that they needed to have. Now they move on to Pitt. Uh, Jeff Capel's coming to town, Jeff and Jason Capel. Uh, they're struggling this year again, and um, UNC will have a great opportunity uh, to get their 14th win at home. Um, this upcoming week, and then a, a huge game on the road in Blacksburg, Virginia, at Virginia Tech on Saturday, um, which is going to be huge for both teams. You know, each team needs this win to solidify themselves into the into the tournament, and uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of eyes on that game. Now, I'll briefly get into the last two games of the week for Duke Thursday night. They were at Clemson. Uh, they came out with a lot of energy, as we, we thought they would, coming off a lackluster performance at home against Virginia. Um, Wendell Moore had another good game. Uh, he had eight points, but eight, re uh, eight assists, excuse me, eight assists, four rebounds. Um, he did a good job of controlling the ball and uh, just being a good leader out there for the team. Um, he went up to Trevor Keels and told him to be himself before the game, and Trevor ended up having his best game of the season or second best. Uh, Kentucky, the first game of the year, was his other really good game offensively. And uh, Keels had 25 points, 9-13 from the field, 3-6 from three. Uh, that was the best I've seen him look and since that Kentucky game, first game of the season. So uh, that was good to see for Duke fans. Mark Williams also chimed in with 16. He was 8-8 eight of eight from the field, um, all dunks. Um, and uh, Paulo Bancaro, I think he's doing a little bit better job rebounding the ball. He had 10 rebounds in that game. Um, so, you know, when, when his offense isn't going, he needs to be able to produce in other ways. It can't just be his shot. So um, I think he did a good job in that game of, uh, you know, uh, doing other things on the court, like getting rebounds and uh, playing good defense. And then Duke's final game of the week on Saturday, they uh, headed up to BC. They actually went from Clemson straight to BC, got in around three in the morning. And, uh, you know, Earl Grant at BC's got his hands full there being uh, in the ACC and just trying to get that program back on track to the Jared Dudley, Craig Smith days. It's not an easy task, but um, Duke was able to go in there and, uh, the, you know, the talent level between Duke and BC isn't, isn't uh, too close. So Duke was able to just impose their will on them. Um, but they did have a tough time, uh, especially with James Carnick in the beginning, the big man for BC. He was uh, getting whatever he wanted, making shots, 
Um, so Duke had to adjust there and really bring the energy after playing four games in seven days. Wendell Moore had another good game. He shot the three ball well. He was four or five from three. Um, Paulo had a pretty good game. Uh, he stayed aggressive. Another good rebounding game for him, uh, 14 rebounds. And uh, Trevor Keels had another good offensive game for himself at 13 points, 5 of 7 from the field. So he's getting going on the offensive end. Uh, one thing that the biggest thing that I probably took away from this game was A.J. Griffin and his inability to defend the ball um, and just how he loses track of his man on defense. That's a big thing going forward for Duke. Uh, he's one of the better shooters in the country. He can score, um, but uh, his inability to defend um, is, is going to be something that teams really pick on moving forward. Um, he's not as athletic as uh, I had heard coming out of high school. I know he's coming from a couple injuries, so I know he's starting to get more into a rhythm. And uh, But I've just been kind of um, surprised, rather, at the lack of his athleticism that he has. And um, we'll see if he can get going more defensively. Um, but uh, he's getting, you know, he's getting beat off the ball. He's getting beat on back doors. Um, just his toughness is a little bit in question right now um, at this level. I know it's a huge adjustment. I know AJ is only 18 years old. He's young for his grade, um, for being a freshman. He doesn't turn 19 until uh, after the NBA draft, actually, um, in 2022. So he's he's young for his age, but He's going to have to uh, grow quickly um, on the defensive end or else, uh, you know, I don't know what Coach K is going to do there with, with him bringing him in and out of the lineup because Duke needs him on the floor as well with his scoring and his ability to shoot the ball, uh, being Duke's best three-point shooter by far. So, uh, you know, those are some questions Coach K has uh, moving forward. And Duke's got uh, a tough game at home against Wake Forest where they've been uh, – not very good at home. They've actually been better on the road. So Duke's going to have their hands full with Wake Forest on Tuesday night. And then on Saturday, they play at home against uh, FSU, who is, uh, like I said earlier, has a lot of injuries. And um, they're just going through a tough time right now. So with that, I'm going to wrap this episode up. I appreciate you all listening. Uh, let me know if you have any feedback or comments or questions you'd like me to answer or go over uh, in future podcasts. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time. With that, it's Jeremy Shaheen with the TR Hoops Tobacco Road Hoops Podcast.